Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Financial Times. We value your feedback. Please go to ft.com slash listen and fill out a short survey for a chance to win a pair of Bose acoustic noise-cancelling headphones. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. On the show this week, we'll be discussing Europe's migration crisis and the EU's response to it. Thousands of men, women and children have drowned in recent weeks after they took to rickety and overcrowded boats, often at the hands of human traffickers, to cross the Mediterranean towards a better life in Europe. The deaths of 800 people over the weekend in one sinking alone have brought into focus the scale of this flow of humanity and the failure of Europe to stem the mass loss of life. EU governments last October scaled back an Italian maritime search and rescue mission after judging that the saving lives at sea only encouraged more people to take the perilous journey. EU governments are now scrambling to come up with a more adequate response that answers the public outrage while remaining wary about growing opposition across Europe to higher levels of immigration. The crisis has also highlighted the chaos in Libya, which has now become a primary transit route for many of those fleeing violence and poverty from the Middle East and sub-Saharan Africa. Joining me to discuss these latest developments are Peter Spiegel, our Brussels bureau chief, and in Cairo, Borzu Daragahi, our Middle East and North Africa correspondent. Borzu, can I start with you? Can you sort of paint a picture of what's actually happening in a concise way? I think the origin of the issue is mostly in um, sub-Saharan Africa and Arab countries that are at war right now, creating large numbers of migrants from Syria, from the Palestinian territories, from sub-Saharan African countries that include Eritrea, Somalia, Ethiopia, Niger, Mali, There's all over sub-Saharan Africa. In some cases, people are escaping economic troubles and lack of opportunities, but in many cases, they're escaping war and potential oppression, human rights abuses, and trying to find a better life for themselves and their families in Europe. And so they're taking this perilous path through uh, Libya, which has long been a transit hub for migrants. This transit hub, Libya, has recently broken down into civil war, an 11-month conflict that has pitted two armed camps against each other, then that has prevented any kind of interdiction efforts to halt this wave, this trade, this traffic. Uh, In addition, many Libyans profit from this business. They charge these migrants, sometimes exorbitant fees, to um, make it to the boats and then charge them again to get on those boats, to get a seat on those boats. And so you have this other incentive that helps the growth of this trafficking. According to the UN, uh, Libyans made $170 million uh, last year just in the uh, transatlantic crossing, not even counting the fees that are paid to get people from the Libyan border to the Mediterranean. And so you have all of these factors coming together at a time when it has traditionally been rather fair, calm seas, and creating this wave, this exodus, 
that is manifesting itself in capsized boats and images of dead uh, women and children floating in the Mediterranean. Peter, there's understandably been outrage in Europe at the scale of death off its shores. Is it fair to blame an inadequate European response? Well, it's a tough one. I mean, let's remember that we had about 300 people who were killed off the coast of, of Lampedusa, the Italian island that is the further south point of the EU in the Mediterranean, just off the coast of Libya two years ago. And there was more outrage then, a lot of hand-wringing, and Brussels presented its five-point plan to solve it. And basically nothing happened. The Italians took it upon themselves to launch what they called Mare Nostrum, which was an Italian Navy and Coast Guard operation to do basically search and rescue in the Med. They did that for a period and then decided this should be an EU operation. The EU decided that it didn't want to take it on. And so there has been no search and rescue operation in the Med for this period that, that Borzu discusses where the seas have finally calmed and boats are starting to arrive. Instead, they've done a much more limited operation along the southern coast that is essentially a Coast Guard operation. It doesn't go further than 30 kilometers from the Italian coast. So it, it is not this active search and rescue operation. Now, why not? Why haven't they did that? Part of it is obviously money, although the euros involved are, are incredibly small by EU standards. We're talking about 9 million euros a month. But more importantly, there is a school of thought in many northern European countries in particular that this is a magnet. If you start putting you know, naval ships or Coast Guard cutters out into the Med to pick up boats, you're going to see more boats. Now, there has not been a huge amount of data that proves that's the case, but that's part of the reason they didn't continue Mare Nostrum, and that's part of the reason they're suddenly getting criticized for not having those naval assets out in the Med to rescue these guys. We have a summit here in Brussels coming up this week. This is one of the issues that's going to be fought about, and it remains to be seen how it's resolved, whether they expand the current program. They're going to probably double the resources it's given, but does that mean they can go beyond the current shorelines? Do they get more assets, and more importantly, a wire mandate to do these kinds of search and rescue operations that many think are necessary to prevent this from happening again? If they do decide to attribute those greater resources and they do get that wider mandate, will they be more successful at tackling the problem, do you think, or is it still going to way exceed their abilities? Well, as always with the EU, they keep arguing for a holistic approach, right? which they mean is not just the search and rescue in the sea, but going to the Libyan coast and addressing some of the root causes. Now, look, as Borzu pointed out, these are protracted civil wars that are forcing people to go northward into the Med. We're not about to solve the Libyan crisis overnight to prevent migrants from coming. But there's talk about stepping that up, working with the countries that are actually not failed states and making sure that they are working on controlling their own borders. But there's also discussion about being a bit more, shall we say, military in this. There's a lot of talk about the operations that went on along the coast of Somalia to counter piracy, which included sort of special forces guys showing up and blowing up ships and even fuel dumps of the pirates. Can they do something similar off the coast of Libya here? Now, there was debate about this over the last two or three days. There has been some concerns that they may need a U.N. mandate to do something like that. There does actually seem to be some political willingness because, again, search and rescue in an enormous sea is not something that's going to solve this problem. But if they can start blowing up ships and assets, that may curtail the number of people that actually go into the Mediterranean. So they are trying a multi-pronged approach whether there is an agreement on a multi-pronged approach at a time of, of huge moral outrage, but political risk, that's the question we're going to have to face here over the course of the week. Borzu, do you see any real prospect of a kind of more military intervention in Libya, or at least along the shores of Libya? Do you think 
the European governments would really be willing to engage in that kind of activity? Well, I don't know about how much European governments would be willing to engage, but theoretically, if you were to take on a more aggressive military posture, for example, maybe working with local assets in uh, destroying these boats, arresting the smugglers before they took off, that could serve as a deterrent. This is what some Libyans say to me. But as someone else pointed out to me, the root of the problem is the root of the problem, (laughs) so to speak. And if, in fact, you, let's say, launch uh, drone strikes on smugglers' coves, to take a very extreme example, and uh, make it seem for the smugglers themselves on the Libyan coast that it's not worth the risk to engage in this business, what's that to stop people who are desperate and fleeing uh, war in some cases, approaching genocidal war, perhaps, in a place like Syria? What's that to prevent them from finding another way to get to Europe? finding another transit route, another boat route, or some other way of crossing borders illegally. So this is one of the dilemmas that even if you do take on this uh, very aggressive military posture, it's going to be very tough to prevent the wave uh, because it's not being caused by the disorder in Libya or the inability of Italian or other maritime forces to block these ships. It's being caused by hardship and despair in these other countries. Peter, nothing exposes the shortcomings of European integration like a crisis. And once again, we've seen that Europe is very, very far away from having a common immigration policy with the burden shared across all member states, right? I mean, this is the point that Matteo Renzi, the Italian prime minister, has been arguing for weeks and if not months. He is the one who called for this summit. He is the one who has been desperately asking for help. But as you said, I mean, it's at a time now when immigration in general is such a hot-button issue that so many countries don't want to touch this. What happens if you have what the Europeans like to call solidarity, which is burden-sharing? That means that suddenly thousands of you know, asylum seekers, of refugees, are going to have to be distributed across of Europe and settled there. And right now in France, for instance, you have a situation where Front National, the populist right-wing party, which is incredibly anti-immigrant and is making huge gains because of their anti-immigration position, is at risk of overthrowing the main parties. You have David Cameron, who's running for re-election right now in Britain, finding his right wing undermined by UKIP, the UK Independence Party, which again is running on an overtly anti-immigrant policy. So you're trying to get solidarity across Europe at a time when anti-immigrant feeling is at an all-time high, that populist parties are gaining across the continent. And so Matteo Renzi is not getting a huge amount of support from other countries in the north. And you have just another one of these classic north-south divides that frequently bedevils Europe. Okay, that's it for this week. My thanks to Peter Spiegel and to Borzu Daragahi. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources. 
uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.